Well, um, I, I, I'm sort of not quite back to uh, real energy, and so this morning I've sat down. Hope you don't mind too much. Um, here's the deal. We're about a month away from the end of school. <laughs> Teachers and children are celebrating. <laughs> Parents are not. <laughs> so here's the deal. With the end of school, what happens? There you go. You don't have to do that. But, but vacations get planned, right? I mean, vacations is like the official start of the season. You know, as a kid, vacations for me existed and it consisted of me making trips to Kansas to shoot fireworks and to visit family. It doesn't get much better than that. I mean, seriously, other than the family that you come to visit keep you, and then they take you on vacation to places like Yellowstone. I mean, as a 10-year-old, what gets better than having a snowball fight in July, right? I mean, in the mountains. It's just amazing. When I, when I went on vacations then, it was, like, simple. It was easy. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, simple, easy. There was not a whole lot of work for me to do vacations. Um, yeah, they're pretty simple. Excuse me for just a second. Talk amongst yourselves. No, I, I'm trying to survive through some of this stuff. And so anyway, it's just simple, simple stuff, you know. Vacations for me were throw a few things, a few clothes into a bag and get my electronic sports game. It, I, you can't call it a video game because it was like a single couple dots that was baseball. And kids these days have all the fun. There's no video part to it. It was a little electronic thing. Um, but now vaca- vacations are a little more work, right? I mean, what kind of preparations go into vacations? How many of you start packing weeks before? <laughs> I know there are some. <laughs> and some, you know, make a list, right? I mean, this list gets drawn out, and you you, you got to make sure you don't forget anything, and you get all the stuff, and... Got to make sure you have the right clothes for the trip. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, right? Well, you know, work in school, sometimes prep for that. I mean, rarely do I, like, set clothes out, like, the day before. Sometimes I will, especially on Sundays, because I get up really early and try not to wake up. I'm sure it's not possible, but I, I try to be sort of considerate, not wake her up. But try to lay out clothes early and try and do all that stuff. But there's all kinds of things to prepare for. You prepare for all kinds of things. You ever been around an athlete that prepared? They do just the right things. They 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 go through the right foods to eat and and all the right preparations for game day, and they just they know what to do. Preparation really, in a lot of ways, is a good thing. Being prepared for big moments are important. How many of you have ever driven like a route to some place the day before you had to be there, just so you knew how to get there? See, see, there are people like, some of you in the room are laughing, you're like, who would do that? And there's like half the room's like, yeah, I've done it. And you're like, what? You know, yeah, that's the way it is. You know, the ultimate in preparation is weddings, right? Uh, everything is planned out. 
flowers, tuxes, dresses, shoes, reception, processional, recessional, music, unity stuff, pictures, cars to drive away in, cars to come in. Preparation for a wedding day is huge. This morning we're talking about preparation. If you hadn't guessed. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, is about preparation. And Peter writes to this group of churches he's written to it, giving them instruction, and he writes to them these words. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will continue when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Peter writes, since you've experienced the forgiveness of God, since you've experienced all that you've experienced, since you, since you know that you have a future in heaven, because Jesus has died for your sins, do this. Think clearly. Prepare your minds for action. Peter uses the thought here of the people of the first century. Uh, they, they would understand. He's, I want you to think about it for just a moment. It doesn't work real well for us. But when we talk about preparation in the first century, if men were going to do something like run, you didn't just run. You had to get ready to run. Because there were some things that kind of hindered running. It's kind of like a lady today that's wearing high heels. Right? If you're going to run, you better prepare. Because running in high heels is not a good move. So what do you do? You take them off. You take off the high heels and run without them. You ever seen women run with high heels in her hand? It's a sight. But back then, they, you have to understand, the guys would wear outer garments, and they were long, and it was sort of like a dress, but it wasn't a dress, it was an outer garment. And in order for them to, to go someplace fast, like run or work hard out in the garden or whatever, instead of leaving their outer cloak the way it was, they would roll it up and tuck it into their belt so that they could run. So that's the picture that Peter writes with here as he, as he writes to the churches. He, he's saying, prepare yourself, get ready, get yourself ready for action. Do something. So Peter's telling the people of the first century and for us to prepare ourselves to get ready. We aren't just to get ready in the sense of a race or vacation. Rather, we're to prepare, to prepare our minds. Like, in order to do well in, in many sports, like, athletes prepare their minds. They go over all kinds of preparation in order to perform the best they can. Look, look it, it, I know a lot of you aren't golfers, but if you were, when you get up to hit a golf shot, the thoughts going through your head cannot be, look at the water over there. That's the wrong thing to look at. Or the water in front of you. If you acknowledge water in front of you, the golf ball will acknowledge water in front of you. 
It seems to drawn to where you, so, so golfers are not looking, at, the golfers are looking at what is the shot I want to play? How do I want this ball to fly? To, sorry, this morning, no golf balls to the curtain, okay? I'm not hitting any today. Um, for those of you who remember the last time I talked about golf, that's why I don't talk about it. Try to put out a window. But they prepare themselves for the shot they're going to play. And over and over again, they do that. And, 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 and Peter is telling the church, prepare yourself. Prepare your mind for action. Prepare your mind because, because you're going to do something that really is going to matter. And your life and other people's lives depend on it. So prepare yourself. Prepare your mind. The follower of Christ today ought to do the same. To prepare our minds for action. Peter is telling us to get our spiritual and mental attitudes ready for action. We must live life recognizing all that Jesus has done for us. And all that we're going to inherit in the future. And preparation for action is the beginning point. And along with it, the follower of Jesus must practice self-control. Now self-control, as defined by Americans, is something else that someone should practice. Something that somebody else should do. Just not me. Other people need self-control. I don't. See, that's kind of the American way, right? Other people struggle with those things. No, actually, we all probably need self-control. In fact, self-control for a self-indulgent culture is sort of an oxymoron. And we live in a self-indulgent culture. Even our self-control seems to be for our own self-gratification. Or for our benefit. I mean, think about it for just a moment. Why are we so interested in exercise? So we look good. So we feel good. So we have a better quality of life. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But, but probably some of our motivation is selfish. So we know what we need to do. We need to prepare our minds for actions, practice self-control. And we know that's what Peter's telling us to do. Now he gives us the how. And it's the second part of the verse. And, and he keeps going from the second part of verse 13 all the way to the end of the chapter. Peter implores us to put all of our hope in the gracious salvation that will come to us when, when Jesus Christ is revealed in the world. All of our hope should be put in the gracious salvation. Not some, but all of our hope is in Christ. The question that raises for us is what are the things that we put our hope in that aren't the salvation that will come through Christ? We put our hope in a lot of things, right? Government, jobs, parents, spouse, kids, retirement, money, and probably many more. Our hope should be in Jesus. Why? Because Peter is telling us that if we put our hope there, if we focus our eyes there, if we will get our eyes to that place, focused on Jesus Christ, 
it will enable us to get there. If we will focus on Jesus, if we'll put our eyes on Jesus, if we'll put all of our hope there, it's like investing for retirement. You invest for the long term, and you can't always react in the short term. Because if you react in the short term, you'll often make wrong decisions. And in this case, I'm completely sure that if we'll make, if we take our eyes off of long term, if we take our eyes off of eternity, if we take our eyes off of the hope that's found in Jesus, we will make short term bad decisions. Christians, followers of Jesus, should live in the future tense. Present actions and decisions should be governed by this future hope. Because when we bring our eyes off of Jesus, we end up doing things and living for things that are not beneficial for our eternity. And that's what Peter describes in the next number of verses in 1 Peter 1. For the rest of the for, for the rest of the letter, in fact, Peter goes on and gives all kinds of instructions that kind of hinge from this place. They, 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 they start from this point. Peter, Peter is telling the church he's writing to, and the churches of Asia, as he's writing this letter, he's saying to them, do this. If you'll do this, all this other stuff is going to go well for you. If you, will, if you will prepare your minds for action, practice self-control, and look forward to the salvation that you're going to receive, then you will be able to withstand all the stuff that's coming. And if you don't, you're going to struggle. As followers of Jesus, they set all their hope fully on the grace that He's given them. They'll be encouraged throughout the rest of this book to, to change their mindsets to be in line with God's plans for them. He's going to challenge them to change their lifestyles to glorify God and to persevere during difficulties and persecutions. So Peter continues on in verse 14. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your own ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God chose you. Who is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Peter now instructs us and the people of the first century that in light of all you understand about Jesus, all you know about Jesus, and the reality of your future, prepare your minds for action. Live holy. Peter is basically telling the followers of Jesus of his day, they aren't to live as they once did. Live your life as obedient children, following Christ. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Because followers of Jesus, selfishness needs to be put to death. So much of our sinful nature has to do with selfishness. When we're tempted to sin, it's selfish desires. James wrote this. In James chapter 1. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he has never tempted anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, we could talk 
about a long list of things that are wrong. But we'd be here all day. What we need to look at is the motivation, the root of the behavior in question. If we're tempted to do things, what is the reason for doing them? Look, things are not okay just because culture suggests they are. They aren't okay because our friends say they're okay. We need to evaluate things that we are doing with the question being, what does God think about what I'm doing? If there, if there are things that we did before we become a follower of Jesus and stop, why would we ever go back to them? Why would we go back to things that we know that God has brought freedom from? I realize there's times we struggle with addictions, we struggle with different things, and we, we go through, I, I get it, I understand. But, but if we're wondering about what to do, if we're wondering about what we should do as a follower of Jesus, whether something's okay or not, consult the Bible. It's a great place to start. And you think, you know, I'm not saying it just to, look, so much of our culture wants to determine what's right and wrong. But they're doing it out of a basis of nothing. I mean, let's just build a house in a swamp. Because there is no ability for foundation there. Look, if I can build any right and wrong based upon what I think or what someone else thinks, that can change too easily. Even government isn't good enough. Even our Constitution is not good enough. See, the Constitution can change. It can be interpreted, obviously, by the whims of justices. We have to appeal larger than that, higher than that. We have to appeal to something that's outside of you and I. And that's why we appeal to the Scriptures. Okay, we, we must go there. Look, when you're having a conversation with people, you can't give them just because as an answer. That's not even good enough for me to give to my kids. I may want to give them that answer. There are times that I'll say, because I'm the parent. But that's not even a great answer. Because it has to be deeper than that. It has to be going through the pages of Scripture. You have to be careful who you listen to if you're asking questions. You can ask people their opinions, but if their opinions aren't rooted in the theology of the scriptures, then, then you've got to find another person to ask an opinion of. You know, understand, the, the Bible addresses most situations very specifically. It's pretty clear. But other times it does not. But it's in the moment that doesn't apply specifically that our responsibility is to apply biblical principle into the situation that we're facing. And look, we're going to face all kinds of crazy situations. We're going to face things in our culture today that are not spelled out in the pages of Scripture. I get that. But the truth is, 
the principles of the scriptures will apply. That's why Peter is looking at a, at a church in the first century and he's saying to them, look, you're going to face something in the future. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face difficulty. You're going you're to face being persecuted for your faith. You're going you're gonna to face things that, are, that you're not going to understand, that you're, you're not going to want to treat these people with, with love and honor, respect and kindness, and you're going to want to treat them with the love of Jesus. But you're going to because you're a follower of Jesus and because this isn't your hope. Because your eyes are going to be fixed on all that Jesus has bought for you, all that he's done for you. Your your eyes are going to be fixed eternally. And because of that, you're going to react differently than anybody else in this culture. And essentially, that's what Peter's saying to you and I today. Is he's looking to us and he's saying to, to us through 2,000 years of history, and he had no idea that this was coming. Peter, Peter understood the first century, and he, he had enough forethought to know that, that the churches in the provinces of Asia that he was writing to in Galatia and Cappadocia and all that, he, he knew they were going to face some stuff. And so he writes to them. But the things he wrote to them, he writes to us as a warning as well as preparation for you and I to make good decisions in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of confusion. When a world all around us tells us one thing and expects us to get in line with their thought, we've got to figure out how to not line up with the thought. And we need to figure out how to do it in a Christ-like manner. We need to do it as representatives of Jesus, and we need to be able to communicate, know that, that that's unacceptable, and here's the reasons why. And we need to be able to communicate that with grace and mercy and kindness and love. Look, I won't even get into areas, but I think the principles matter. We could go through, like I said, we could go through a list of things. But Peter is telling the church to live holy. And holy living isn't just a list of things we can't do. Holy living is having right attitudes and right heart to respond to the situations that we see around us. Holy living is living a non-self-centered life. And the problem with the church in America in general is that we are more interested in what we can do and get away with than we are about falling in love with Jesus and doing the will of God for our lives. We almost prefer to be more culturally accepted than God-honoring. And that's too bad. We have to be a people that, that, that honors Jesus with our lives, that, that, that recognizes that people around us depend on us to live holy lives. And by holy lives, I really actually am looking towards holy lives of people saying, I'm going to do the will of Jesus today. I'm going to give up my self-centeredness today. I'm 
I'm going to surrender my time to work with an addict. In order to make a difference in them. Peter gives us some some kind of understanding a little bit in the the midst of writing the rest of this chapter. And he kind of gives us a foundation of sort of like three questions to ask ourselves. We're trying to figure out if something's right or wrong. The first one was, does it conform to the character of God? The simple question, does it conform to the character of God? Does it line up with God's character? Does it line up to God's heart? Is the thing I'm looking at, is it a natural outcome of a life that has benefited from salvation? Is, is the thing I'm looking at, is that, is that a natural outcome of, of somebody who's been changed by the power of God? If it's not, maybe it shouldn't be considered. And here's another one. Will it stand up to the, God's scrutiny in that final day when he ushers us into his glorious presence? I may think I'm a little overboard on that one, but think about that for just a moment. Is what I'm about to do, is this like something I can't wait to share with Jesus when I get there? The person I'm about to tell off. How cool would it be if Jesus was sitting there? Probably not so much. (laughs) So for the rest of the chapter, basically Peter illustrates those thoughts. Verse 17 says, And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time. Here's temporary residence. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. How's that for the American life? Just look at somebody that has empty life. It is, you know... There's so much appeal, and yet it's exactly that. In light of eternity, it's an empty life. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, He has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Remember, Peter wrote this to a Roman culture that had struggled in many ways just like we do in America today. He expected them as followers of Jesus to live Christ's life in an anti-Christian society. But Peter was also confident it was going to be harder to live it later 
And it was right at that moment. He was confident persecution would get worse. The fear of God of the culture in which they lived and was around them would lessen. And it would be hard to be a follower of Jesus in their world. But he knew that they could do it. That God would empower them and equip them. And that expectation is no different today. We are to live God-honoring lives even in the most difficult of circumstances. Why? Because Jesus died for us. Think about it. Living a holy life is about doing what God has called us to do. Jesus became obedient, obedient to death on a cross for you and I. He he went to, to the cross that we might be forgiven. He was holy because not only did he not do what we're tempted to do, he did what he was told to do. He lived his life as an obedient child of God. And that's what God wants you and I to do. He wants us to live our lives as obedient children. The writer of Hebrews suggests it this way. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. That's what Peter was instructing the people, the churches in the first century. And what he's instructing us to do as well. Through all the noise, keep your eyes on Jesus. This morning, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, today would be a great day to begin a journey with Jesus. And if you'd like to begin a relationship with Christ today, in just a few minutes, we're going to sing a song. During that song, there'll be some people here at the front. And if you would like to start a relationship with Christ, you can just come talk to them. They'll pray with you. And basically, to start following Jesus, to start by telling Jesus you want to follow him. If you make a f- decision to follow Jesus today, take a moment and tell me. Tell someone else that you came with. I'd enjoy sitting down and talking with you. I have a book for you. I'd like to help you out on your journey. For those of us that are followers of Jesus this morning, would you take a moment and respond to what the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life? Confess sin. Ask God to help you with selfishness. To help you live a holy life. If you struggle being able to give a biblical reason for why you think something's right or wrong in a culture today. You need to work on a biblical understanding. You need to look at 
the scriptures and start to study them. Do you need pointers on that? Talk to me. Do you want to discover how to apply biblical principle into your culture today? I'll help you. There's others that will. Get a small group. Small group settings help in those things. It's taking the scriptures and understanding them well enough that you can look through the lens of the scripture and see what culture is like. And when you do that, you're able to to navigate a journey that isn't easy and glorify God while doing it. And that's the call of God upon all of our lives today, is that He wants us and needs us to live lives that are God-honoring in the midst of all kinds of noise so that others will discover that Jesus has an answer for the struggle and the stuff that they're going through. If you'd like prayer for any reason whatsoever, there'll be prayer teams at the front here in just a moment, just as soon as we start singing. You need healing, you want prayer for wisdom, you need encouragement, you need something. Come. They'll pray with you and just believe God to speak into your life and help you in whatever you're going through. Would you stand this morning? Pastor Chris and the team will lead us. And my prayer is that God will just do a great thing in all of